you can grab a seat. Thanks for singing with us. We are in uh, the season of Lent, and uh, if you have been here over the last couple of weeks, then you know that we have a, a teaching series designed around the season of Lent. If you're not familiar at all with Lent, uh, perhaps you've heard the word Advent before. Um, Advent is this season or this period of time leading up to uh, Christmas, and we recognize that here at Reachway with candles, and perhaps you've been a part of a church that that does that as well. Um, Lent is of a similar line of thinking. Lent is this season, this period of time that leads up to Easter. And um, we kind of tagline Lent as preparing for Easter, preparing for the good news. And not only that, but preparing ourselves to understand the weight and the significance of salvation. Now, the interesting thing is that in order for us to really lock in on the significance of salvation, we need to understand the significance and the weight of what, of, of what we need to be saved from and why we need to be saved, why we need to be offered salvation in the first place. And so we have courageously, <laughs> some of us maybe more unwilling than others, stepped into this idea of Lent, where we are to seriously consider what is it that I need to really, really be celebrating once Easter Sunday comes? But until then, what are the things that I need to be mindful of? What are the things that Jesus is saving me and has saved me from? And so with that theme in mind, we've, we've presented a few different questions and a kind of concluding statement to guide us along in this, this Lenten season. And those questions are, who is Jesus. And we ask that up against who are we? Who am I? And then we are to confess the difference. We believe that all three of those pieces are important ones. All three of those work together, and you can't isolate any of them. Uh, two of them don't work really well together without a third, right? Or, or one of them doesn't just kind of work well on its own, but when it comes to the Lenten season, these are these three pieces we want to work towards. Who is Jesus? Who am I? And confess the difference. What we believe is that when we do confess that difference, that we are given a new set of eyes, that we are opened up to newer perspectives on what it means to be a disciple of Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ and live in this world? Both of those things can be true at the same time, that there is a way that we can faithfully navigate our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our cities and, and our family situations and other things. We can faithfully navigate those as Christ would navigate those. And in fact, we are extended this invitation. The one who would choose to believe in the good news and the gospel and the one who would choose to follow Christ they are actually being invited not just to follow, but to become like. And there is a difference there. We are invited to hear from, from Christ and, and read of his teachings that we are um, given most beautifully in the scriptures. And his spirit is with us. His Holy Spirit is with us and, and, and ministering to us and, and living life with us. 
We can follow and we can learn about and we can read about and we can talk about, but there is even more, and that's being like. And so that's what this series is all about, is reorienting our lives around the life of Christ. And so each week we kind of approach a different theme and, and we look to the scriptures, uh, mostly out of the Gospel of Luke, this particular series, where Jesus is flipping the script on what it looks like to live and to love and to be. And so we look at those passages, we take a few things from them, but then we don't stop there. We ask the serious question, does my life align with what I'm seeing Jesus do in this particular scene this particular story. We confess the difference and then we accept the invitation to be like Christ. So we did this very first week. A few weeks ago, we looked at the scene of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And perhaps you were here for that. What we focused in on is the idea or the theme of navigating life in a world of shortcuts. All three temptations from the tempter were shortcuts to things that Jesus would eventually do or become, and we talked about that. So what we concluded was not the idea of what gets done being the most important. If you were here a few weeks ago, what we talked about is what might be more important than the thing is how the thing gets done, right? Jesus is given these three different distinct invitations to go down a different path, to do the things that Jesus knew he would do, but here's a little bit of a shortcut. On the front end of your ministry, you were just baptized. You have been in the wilderness for 40 days. I'm going to swoop in and give you an out. And what Jesus does is he shows us that the what is important, but the how is even more important. And that we need to seriously consider what it looks like to you know, we have the what would Jesus do, right? If I could add another bracelet for our collections, <laughs> how would Jesus do this? How would he go about approaching this particular situation? The second week, we talked about a, a similar thing, and we talked about the idea of responding to disruptions. We looked at some dialogue that Jesus talks about where he talks about Jerusalem. And how Jerusalem, time and time again over its history as a nation, rejected prophets, rejected the people that had the message they needed to hear, but it didn't align with the majority opinion of the land, and so sorry, we have to reject you. And what we read last week is that Jerusalem actually continually stoned <laughs> and killed the people, the messengers of that had the messages that they just didn't agree with. So our moment of reorientation last week was allowing Jesus to guide us through the disruption. And you may remember last week we talked about how it's very easy, perhaps the easiest, the most instinctual thing for us to do is to avoid disruptions. Uh, this particular coworker or friend or, or family member or or just overall situation in my neighborhood or city or in the world. It's a disruption to how I believe and how I think, so I'm just going to avoid it or them. But what Jesus invites us to do is to allow him to walk us through 
the disruption. And so weeks one and weeks two, the challenge that we gave ourselves is to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Put yourself in a position. Week one, we talked about this idea of dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, resting in his shadow. Week two, Jesus gives us this image of a hen gathering her chicks under her wings. Both of those images present the same thing, that in order for us to do these massive reorientation moments, we need to be close to God. We need to be close to God and in a position of humility and in a position where we have more to learn. And we continue on with this idea of reorientation here being our third week. Um, In just a moment, we're going to be in Luke chapter 13. Um, If you'd like to follow along with one of the Bibles that are by your feet, um, we're going to be on page 1,621. We're going to be in Luke chapter 13, but Luke chapter 13 really belongs in the same conversation as Luke chapter 12 and Luke chapter 11 as well. Luke chapters 11, 12, and 13 all are primarily uh, the words of Christ, and the scene is Jesus being in a massive crowd. And this is not uncommon for Jesus, that he would be in large crowds. So um, if I could paint a visual picture, is, is we have Jesus, and then Jesus has his 12 disciples that are closest to him. But then beyond the disciples, there is this massive crowd, and you could almost imagine the people trying to like bump through and, and listen and hear what Jesus could be talking about. All three of those chapters include this kind of back and forth of Jesus turning to his disciples and talking to his disciples, just kind of that insider information. Because once again, he's training them, right? He's, he's training them to be like him. And so there are some things that only they need to hear because Jesus is investing in them. So there are some times where he turns to his disciples and he tells the 12 something that they need to hear. And we read about some of those in, in these three chapters. And then there are some other times where Jesus turns to the larger crowd. And he kind of has this back and forth of, all right, disciples, this is what you need to know. Then he goes to the crowd and he says, this is what you need to know. These are some of the themes that are talked about in those three chapters. I don't know if you're flipping or turning along or anything, but Luke chapter 11 and 12, Jesus is talking about signs and wonders. He's talking about um, people who are convinced that they're right need to actually proceed with a little bit more caution than they do. He's talking about different parables about the complications and dangers of financial riches which to some in the crowd, not all, but some, would really hit hard. Um, He's talking about dealing with worry. He's talking about the weight of following Jesus. And towards the end of this three-chapter scene, where we pick up in Luke chapter 13, the themes, because he's getting questions this whole time where he has stuff, but then people respond to him and And after a teaching, people respond to him and start talking about the themes of sin and curse and social placement. And this is how he responds. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, 
do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered in this particular way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then Jesus pivots and he tells them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. He went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. So cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. At face value, that is a very confusing nine verses of Scripture. At face value, there doesn't seem to be one particular theme that jumps out at us. And if that resonates with you, then no worries, because that happens a lot. When we can read even a couple passages, a couple of verses, and we feel like we're being hit with a couple of things, or we don't know what there is to look at. Because there's not something that just jumps out. It's not Jesus just saying, hey, don't steal, right? It's, there's a lot going on here, and we have a parable, and we need to be uh, appropriate with how we deal with parables. What that means, though, is that if there's not one thing that's jumping out at you, there are probably several things that are happening at the same time. If one thing doesn't jump out, it doesn't mean that nothing is happening. It means that there's probably more than one thing happening. So today... I'd like to just lift out three quick things that we can learn, but I want us to focus in on the things that Jesus is saying, but more importantly, we're going to talk about how this all ties together for our series. So really quickly, I just want to lift out a couple of things. There's three of them, and then I want to hopefully connect the dots for us. Verses 1 through 5, that dialogue back and forth of different people groups that suffered, uh, I want to lift up two different things that we can consider from those verses. And the first one is that sin and suffering are not universally correlated. This is what I mean by that. As people, human beings, we really want to make sense of the world, right? We have brains, God gave us brains, and um, we can think and we can have reason and we can articulate and we have language and thoughts and things like that. And, and as people, we really do want to be able to explain everything. We want to be able to have our truths, right? The things that we, that we know and we believe them to be true. And, and what we've talked about particularly last week is that's not possible for everyone, People disagree all the time. We experience disruptions all the time. But in, in Jesus' day, and, and I would say maybe even today as well, 
it was the conventional wisdom of the day to explain suffering with sin. It was the conventional wisdom of the day to to say that person is suffering, which means one of two things. They are a sinner or uh, one of their ancestors committed some type of a sin and they're kind of reaping the negative uh, implications of that. That's how they explained suffering, that there had to be a cause for the effect. And what Jesus is saying here is that not so. Where he actually says, I tell you no. The Galileans, the people that suffered at the hands of Pilate. By the way, that that first sentence there talks about Galileans and Pilate mixed their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. That is what, this is an actual thing that happened. And there's a group of Galileans that migrated to do a temple sacrifice. They were oppressed by Pilate and his regime. They revolted. And so Pilate just wiped them out. Pilate just killed him. So this, this language of mixing the blood, their actual blood that Pilate got from them mixed with their sacrificial blood. So that's what's happening there. So Pilate killing these people and, and this tower falling, these random, these random events that happen, Jesus is saying very plainly is that that suffering doesn't mean that there was sin there. So he says, I tell you, no. Right? So that's one just thing that we can learn. The second one is this, is that repentance brings life. We see a few different times where Jesus says, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish. And so he's putting up this idea of repentance up against the idea of perishing. Um, And don't even think just dying, but think um, just not living a full life and just kind of being dreary and shoulders always slunched and things like that. Um, of course, repent, we talk about this all the time, is that repent means to change your mind or to change your direction. And we, we define repentance every time it comes up because it pops up a lot in our, in our translations of scripture, but repentance does not just mean to be sorry. If you have ever been apologized to, uh, to you, someone has apologized to you for the same thing a hundred times over, perhaps a lot of parents can, can resonate with, with a child saying, oh, mom and dad, I'm sorry, but what do they go and do tomorrow? The same thing. It really is the same thing with repentance. Repentance, God is saying, hey, repentance is not just saying you're sorry and doing the same thing again, Right? But to repent is to actually change your mind about a direction that you should be traveling, about a thing that you should be doing, changing your direction in life. Now, what is most importantly being said here is actually what's not being said here at all. Jesus talks about repentance, and we can believe and say that repentance brings life. But this is what's being said that's not actually really being said, is what this means is that social position does not bring life. That's what's really being said in this circle. What's really being said here is that it doesn't necessarily matter if you come from that family with that particular last name that lives on 
that hill and, and owns all of that cattle and land and property. That doesn't bring life because what we have seen in these two, um, these two scenes of the Galileans and the people who fell and died in that tower is that it doesn't matter where he come from. That's, that's not bringing you life. It is repentance that brings life. Okay, so those are the first two things. Verses 1 through 5, we get those two things, and then there is a pivot that takes place. Jesus shares a parable. Verses 6 through 9 is a parable. And this is what parables are, kind of by definition, is things that are not real but true. Parables are stories. Jesus uses parable, he uses story, he uses narrative in order to communicate something that didn't actually happen but something that very well could, and what we learn is actual true things from that parable. And as confusing as this parable is, particularly because it's directly attached to those first five verses, I do want you to know it belongs there for a reason. The parable is, of course, about a fig tree, and we read it just a few minutes ago. This is what we can learn. There's, there's so many things to sort through in that uh, parable. For example, the reason that three years was the time limit is because um, it took a fig tree generally three years to, to bear figs. So that's why three years is there. I mean, there's so many different things that we could just pull apart and pick at, and those would be fun things to do for me at the very least. Um, but what we want to do is focus in on how does that parable happen to apply to the first five verses, and for us, the two things that we just highlighted, and that is this, is what matters is being who we were called to be. Jesus highlights what matters. And he does this by talking about a fig tree of all things. But in this parable, what we can learn in this particular discussion, this particular discussion, is that what matters is being who we are called to be to be. Because here's the deal. It wasn't enough for that fig tree to just be a tree. It needed to produce figs. It needed to do everything that it was designed to do. And so, in fact, what we read about in this particular parable is not really a fig tree. We read about a thing that was planted with fig tree seeds, if that's how figs are planted. Um, we read about a, a tree, it, you know, it kind of looks like a fig tree, it, but you know what? It's three years old and there's no figs. So what is this thing, right? That's what's happening in this parable. And Jesus uses this parable to explain that it's not enough to just live in the right place or to have the right family or the right things, or to know the right things to know. But that we actually need to put things into practice, and we need to be. That's the word that I want to give you this morning, is be. It wasn't enough for that fig tree to just be called a fig tree. And perhaps if that fig tree could somehow talk, then that fig tree would say, yep, I'm a fig tree. Three years later, where are your figs? 
do what you are being called and designed to do. Be who you are called and designed to be. So those are three things we can pull out of there. Important things to know. They are truths that Jesus gives us. But this is what I want us to focus in on. And this is our actual theme for the morning. We haven't talked about our theme for the morning yet. Our theme is this, is to view life through a new set of lenses. That is the invitation. That is our invitation to reorient our lives around the life of Christ. The moment for us to capture this morning is this idea of viewing life through a new set of lenses. And we get that theme when we're talking about the Galileans and Pilate. We get that theme about the tower that falls. And we get that theme about the fig tree as well. A couple of things to know here is more of hopefully a reminder for us today is that there are new lenses out there for us to view life through. It is at the moment you think you have it all figured out is when I would really encourage you to, to keep looking. Because the Holy Spirit is always giving us opportunities to experience a full life. A full life is not stagnant, it's dynamic, right? A full life is one where we're meeting people and we're doing new things and we're getting out of our comfort zones and when we do all of that, we have new things to learn. We have new things to see. It's also important to know that that conventional wisdom might not be the wisdom of God. We read about that in Isaiah 55, where God pretty clearly says that my ways, God's ways, God's thoughts are not the ways of man, not the ways of humanity. He just kind of says it. Now, the beauty there is that he doesn't leave us to ourselves. He sent his son, and then his son sent his spirit. And so we have access to the Father so that we can get glimpses of how his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and we can get glimpses into how his ways are higher than our ways, but it's not just here. We have to seek that wisdom out. And so if there is conventional wisdom that perhaps you have adopted, or conventional wisdom that is coming at you in your workplace or the different circles that you find yourself. Perhaps it's conventional wisdom that seems to occupy the news headlines and the radio news bulletins and the different things we read on TV and any other media that we consume. Is that it might very well not be the wisdom of God. And that the wisdom of God needs to be sought out. So I want to give you a quick list of, uh, let's see, we have five, very quick. Practices to employ, things to do, habits to form, to where we can start beginning and engaging in this idea of viewing life through a new set of lenses. If this is a particular area that you feel challenged in and you want the next week and beyond to be you really wanting to learn more about, hey, what does it look like to view life through a new set of lenses? I've got five things. Real quick, is the first one is question your knee-jerk reaction. The, I did the hardest one first, <laughs> so no worries. 
when you hear that headline and what you think right there. Question that. Question that. Or the knee-jerk reaction that you see someone else have and that person is perhaps someone that you agree with a lot. Question that. I don't really think that we are at our absolute best with split-second gut decisions unless we have regular rhythms and habits of the second one is sitting quietly and thinking. Something bad happened at work. Okay, come home, vent to who you need to vent to, whether it's a spouse or a family member or a pet, right? But then sit there and think about it. Not like shame on you. Like, this isn't like timeout stuff, right? Like, this isn't go in the corner. This is think about what happened. And just kind of breathe for a minute, right? And consider, oh, man, that, well, that didn't happen how I wanted it to happen. What can this look like going forward? I would say that if you don't have regular rhythms of just sitting and being still and thinking, that you're not going to necessarily grow in your faithful knee-jerk reactions. Uh, My mentor, one of my mentors, he instills in me a 24-hour rule. Um, You get an email you didn't want to get. You get a text you didn't want to get. You heard something that you didn't want to hear, give it a day, right? Don't fire back. Give it a day. Give it some time. Because I bet that we're at our best and most faithful even 24 hours after, which is not a long time in the grand scheme of things, friends, um, than our knee-jerk reactions. Question the knee-jerk reaction. Sit quietly and think. Our third practice Ask this question, how does Jesus inform this? Or maybe the better question is, is Jesus informing this? Is what I'm seeing play out before me at all influenced by the gospel? And if the answer is no, then know that. And recognize that the things of Christ are not being prioritized here. So I need to view this differently and think about this differently and talk about this differently. That's a good question to ask. Uh, How or is Jesus informing this? Uh, Number four is two-part. We've already alluded to it. Um, Ask, what would Jesus do? Or, and or, how would Jesus do this? Those are both really, really good questions. Both really good questions. And the fifth practice, if you are really wanting to step into viewing life through a new set of lenses, wondering what that looks like, read about Jesus. Yeah. And maybe you do. Keep going, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read about Jesus. And then maybe read about people who have read about Jesus, and then they're, they're talking about Jesus. But start by just reading Jesus for yourself, right? Um, 
those are just a couple of things that, once again, those aren't, those aren't band-aids. Those aren't things to do just in a whip. And those are regular rhythms and practices that are going to be helpful for us as we enter into this life, enter into this season of reorienting our lives around the life of Christ.